picked up on the theme of the music, you would pick up on what we're going to talk about today. So, uh, just a couple of uh, announcements that aren't on here. Um, Debbie Ames is doing much better. So, I think uh, I talked to Bill, her son, and they got, she has probably about four or five more weeks. Have you seen her? So I think she's got four or five more weeks um, of rehab, and then they'll be able to, she'll be able to get back home and, and do better. So so she's doing better, and uh, keep uh, Karen in your prayers because she texted me this morning, and she has shingles. So, yeah, keep her in her prayer. So uh, just to pass those on to everybody. And uh, uh, please, if you're being baptized, do not plan a camping trip that weekend. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and talk about God's grace. Father, I just thank you that we can come into your presence and worship you in our singing, Father, that our voices can pierce the very throne room of heaven and praise you and exalt you for your grace in our lives. Father, I thank you that we can come now and open your word and see the richness of the grace of your word to us. And so, Father, I just pray now that you would use me as a conduit of that grace, Lord, to your sheep, that you would come and feed your sheep through your word, Lord, that your spirit would accompany the preaching of your word and convict us where we need to be convicted and cause rejoicing in our hearts where we have become dull of your grace. So, Father, I just pray that you would be exalted and that you would be glorified and that we would see your majesty in everything. And with this, I ask it in your son's name. Amen. So, two big texts that we're going to look at today. So, if you want to turn to them, is going to be, uh, one's going to be Psalm 51, and the other one's going to be Ephesians 1. So, we're going to spend time in those. But, as we've kind of been going through, we went through the doctrines of grace, where we see how God works in our salvation, and how he brings us to life, and how he chooses us unto himself because we are dead, and how Christ atones for his bride and the effectual call of the Holy Spirit and God's persevering grace in our lives. And so last week, we looked at, we started the solas, the, the alones, you know, it's, it's grace alone, it's scripture alone, and that's what we looked at last week was scripture alone and how God uses scripture alone and how the word of God is sufficient for everything that we need. Peter tells us that God has given us everything we need for uh, godliness and for this life. So we see that the scripture is sufficient. Doesn't need anything added to it. But my question today to you guys, is grace enough? Is grace enough? The other question I ask, is grace truly amazing? We, we read that, we, we sing that amazing grace, but we sing it like it's not amazing. 
right? We sing it like amazing grace. And I know I've told you guys a story about the, the shepherd's conference that, that I attended where you had 5,000 pastors singing this, and then our Sproul gets up and says, God's grace is amazing, and everybody cheers, and Sproul says, well, then sing it like it is. And we should sing amazing grace like God's grace is amazing. So my question is, have you become dull of God's grace? Is it something that we always hear, right? We always hear for you're saved by grace. Yeah, I know I'm saved by grace. We always hear about God's grace. We, we hear it in songs, right? We hear, uh, this is some of the songs, abounding grace, abundant grace, amazing grace, boundless grace, the fountain of grace, the God of grace, indelible grace, marvelous grace, Plenteous grace, unfailing grace, immeasurable grace, wonderful grace, the word of grace, grace all-sufficient. Grace, grace, grace. Do you ever really let that sink into your heart that it's, it's grace? What, what is grace? We know grace is unmerited favor that God gives us, right? It's this, it's this benefit, it's this favor God has with us. It's this pleasure that, that, that God has bestowed upon us, that his grace is upon us. But we live in an entitlement messi- uh, society now, right? So we sometimes think we deserve God's grace. Well, I deserve God's grace because uh, I'm a good person. Well, we already saw through radical depravity that you're not a good person. We've already seen that. So grace is not something that we deserve. It's not something we owed. It's something that God graciously gives us. And that's what makes it amazing. That's what makes it amazing. So, is it sufficient? Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. There's going to be some verses that Jenny doesn't have because I added them. But he said in regards to the thorn in his flesh and asking God to remove the storm, the, 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 the flesh, or not the flesh, but the thorn. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God's grace is sufficient for us. It's sufficient in good times. It's sufficient in bad times. It's sufficient when we break bones, when we have a bad back, or when we have shingles. God's grace is completely sufficient. So I want to talk about a couple of things today with God's grace. Are we truly, this is the first point, are we truly amazed at God's grace? Is it really amazing to you and I? Or have you become accustomed to God's grace? Have you become accustomed to God's grace? Well, a couple of areas I want us to look at. First of all, we we sang the song, John Newton's Amazing Grace. John Newton says what? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a good person like me. Right? That saved a wretch like me. Do you view yourself as a wretch? Do you view yourself as radically depraved? Or do you constantly compare yourself to Hitler or Stalin? Which one are you? Which one do you do? So Jesus has a parable. Turn in your Bibles to Luke. If you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. Or flip there on your phone, whatever you got, that'll get you to Luke 18. 
Jesus tells a parable. He tells, tells us a parable in Luke 18, 9 through 13. This is what Jesus says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now stop right there with verse 9. Now I want us to understand, we can do this as believers to other believers. Right? We can. It's easy to treat unbelievers with contempt because we're believers, right? This is what happens when we forget about grace. When we forget about grace, we start not seeing people according to the spirit, but according to the flesh. And so I can pump myself up. I can be pompous. I can be arrogant because I'm saved and you're not. But what about with believers? Can we be this way with believers? Absolutely. Absolutely, we can be this way with believers. We can have an error about us that I'm just a little bit better believer than you are. Sure, we all sin, and I see that, but you know what? I'm just a little more righteous than you are. You don't want to know why? Because I read dead guys and you don't. Because I go to prayer meeting three times a week and you don't. We can get puffed up with our works. So we have to be careful that we don't forget that the same grace that saved you saved me. So we can't put each other in contempt. But Jesus keeps going with this parable, and he says this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So I want you to figure out which one you are. Are you the Pharisee? Are you the tax collector? Listen to what he says. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one are you? I'll confess to which one I am. I'm the Pharisee. I can easily be the Pharisee, right? But I don't use those words that I'm not like other men, extortioners or unjust, right? We don't use those words. I use words like, I'm just better than that person. I'm really good. See, what happens is we become the Pharisee when we forget about God's grace. When the dullness of God's grace takes root in your heart, you become the Pharisee. Grace no longer becomes amazing. You see, Jesus says that the tax collector, the man that beat his chest, the one who says, be merciful to me, he was the one that went home justified. That's the one. Not the one that did everything perfect but the one who realized he was a sinner. That person saw that God's grace was amazing. So in order for us to see that God's grace is amazing, we have to see the sinfulness of our sin. The sinfulness of our sin. Think of Noah's time in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was evil continually. The sinfulness of sin, it was continually in their hearts. They were continually having evil thoughts. This is how they were. 
uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to Genesis 18:20. Then the Lord said, "Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave." This is the sinfulness of our sin. Do you see the depths of your sin? The sinfulness of your sin. David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba, we read in 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 5. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and a woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. The sinfulness of David's sin to take another woman. That's not his. But here's the good thing, is we see David's repentance in Psalm 51. We see his repentance in Psalm 51. Earlier before this, Nathan comes to David. What a friend. What a friend Nathan is. To David to tell him of his wrong to tell him that he took something that wasn't his and David responds with Psalm 51 with this repentance listen to how David responds in Psalm 51 1 through 4 have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So David describes his sin with three words. Transgression, iniquity, and sin. Now transgression is crossing this forbidden line. He's crossing this forbidden line. That's what transgression means. Iniquity is this perversion or, or where we get original sin from. And then sin is falling short of the mark. It's missing the mark. It's where Paul in Romans 3.23 uh, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin and we miss the mark. But David sees the sinfulness of his sin. By these three words, my transgressions, my iniquity, and my sin. And then David personalizes it. If we caught that, what I just said, the personalization of it, my transgression, my iniquity, my sin. Do you see that in your own self? Or is it always passed on to somebody else? Is it the blame game like Adam? Well, it's the wife you gave me. Well, it's the serpent you created. Do you do the blame game? Or do you accept your sin like David accepts his sin? This is my iniquity, Lord. This is my sin. This is my transgression. And when we see that, and we see that God has completely and fully forgiven us of our transgressions and our iniquities and our sin, His grace becomes amazing. It's not dull. It's amazing grace. Because, first of all, we don't deserve his forgiveness. That's what David says, right? David makes it clear in who his sin's against. Against you only have I sinned. 
Now, sure, David sinned against Bathsheba and David sinned against Uriah, but he realizes that ultimately his transgression, his iniquity, and his sin is against God and God only. That's whose forgiveness he needs. That's whose grace he needs. And you see that in verse 1. In verse 1, he pleads that way, right? Have mercy on me. That's where he starts out because he understands the sinfulness of his sin. Oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He sees the sinfulness of his sin. Boyce writes this of the sinner. He says, they not only fail to appreciate God's grace. These are those who turn from it. They even hate God for it. They resent the suggestion that God needs to be gracious to them. Is that you? Does that describe you, that God needs to be gracious to you? Do you think God needs to be gracious to you? Do you resent that? What is incomprehensible is that so many true Christians who should understand the nature, the depth, and extent, and horror of their sin... I want to read that again. This goes to you believers. True Christians who should understand the nature, the depth, the extent, and the horror of their sin fail to be shocked by it and therefore find grace boring, dull. Is that where you are today, brothers and sisters? Do you find God's grace boring and dull? If you do, you don't realize the extent of your sin. So, we have to see that God's grace is amazing because of the sinfulness of sin. Also, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. If you sit here as an unbeliever, understand one thing judgment is coming and it's coming to each and every one of us right now in this room here listen to what hebrews 9 27 says and just as it is appointed to man to die once and after that comes judgment doesn't come purgatory doesn't come some little flaw flaw floofy floofy land that we frolic through the meadow in no comes judgment Judgment awaits you. Judgment awaits you. Hebrews 10, 30, 31 says this. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That's us. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Judgment is coming. For the unbeliever, he will stand before God as his judge. And God will judge him righteously. That's what Psalms 96.13 says. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You shouldn't fear my judgment. You shouldn't fear Dick's judgment or Martin's judgment. You should fear the one who will judge you perfectly righteous. That's the one we fear. Judgment is coming. For the unbeliever, 
It is hell. It is God's wrath continually. For the believer. But what about us, Mark? Are, are we judged? Didn't Christ take our punishment on the cross? Aren't we not judged on stuff? Christ did all that? Well, yeah, Christ took your judgment on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He freed us from the power of sin. Yes, he did all of this. But there is judgment for us too. Listen to Romans, or listen to uh, 1 Peter 4.17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? There is judgment within the household of God. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the believer. We are judged upon our works. We're judged upon what we've done in the Bible. Love one another. How have you done that? Providing for one another. How have we done that? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As believers, once God saves us, yes, we are to do good works. We are to be part of the body. We are to take care of each other. But just not good works within the body, it's good works outside the body. Right? James puts it this way. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself is not, if it does not have works, is dead. So we show our faith by our works. That's what James tells us, right? If someone comes to you and says they're in need, and you say, hey, go your way. That's not works. I don't even know if that's faith. I'm not real sure. But that is what he's saying. But we are to do good works. But we are to do good works not to be saved. We're not to do good works to be saved. We're to do good works because we are saved. But we will be judged for those works. It is then when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will see how amazing God's grace is. Because I'm sure I'm going to get in just over the flame. Because I know my own heart. I know my own life. And I know in my own life, God's grace can become dull. It can. I will admit that to you guys. It can. But it is amazing grace. And it should be amazing because of the fact that we understand the sinfulness of our sin and the judgment that is coming. Secondly, God's grace in our salvation is His grace alone. This is the sola. Gratia. It is by grace alone we are saved. It's not because you raised your hand. It's not because you walked the aisle. It's not because you said a prayer. Right? Because a dead person can't do any of that. 
And we looked at that with our radical depravity. It is by God's grace alone. This amazes me that John Wesley was a known Armenian, but in his song, And Can It Be, he shows this grace alone. He says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thy eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is God's sovereign grace that entered John Wesley's heart. It wasn't, he didn't sit there and say, I woke, said a prayer, walked the aisle. No, he didn't say that. God opened his eyes. He woke. The dungeon of his heart, it flamed with light by God's grace. This is what happened to us, brothers and sisters. We woke. God's grace invaded our hearts. It flamed with light. Our chains that... That they held us tight to sin. They fell off. Your heart was free. So what did you do? You went forth and you followed Christ. Because of God's grace alone. We see it in Ephesians 1. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We see this grace alone. When we look at this, there is nothing that you have done. When we look at this, we are saved by God's grace alone. God's grace alone. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. Wow. His glorious grace. Brothers and sisters, God chose us in Christ. Why? Because of his glorious grace. He predestined you and I to be his children. Why? Because of his glorious grace. That we would praise him because of his glorious grace, his abundant grace, his abounding grace, his amazing grace. His grace is not dull, it is not boring. He has grace on us every day. When you open your eyes, it's grace. When you sit at the table to eat breakfast, it's his grace. The homes you live in, it's his grace. It's his glorious grace. Our salvation, he chose us before the foundations, before you did anything good, before you did anything bad. He chose us in Christ because he put his grace upon us, his favor upon us. Yes, wretched people. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that what? Saved a wretch like me. Paul at the end of Romans chapter 7 talks about what a wretched man he is. Who can save me from this body? 
Paul understood the extent and the depth of his sinfulness of his sin and he saw that God's grace was amazing but he writes to the Ephesians to sit there and say the reason we are saved and we are chosen and we are in Christ and we're predestined is because of his grace alone in chapter 2 if we keep reading he says that we're dead and the only reason that we're alive is because of his grace that is why it's his grace alone his grace is sufficient it is sufficient to save the sinner of sinners of sinners the chief of sinners, Paul says he is. The worst of the worst. His grace is sufficient to save that. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the gospel of grace. Preach the gospel. Christ's death on the cross for our sin is grace. His resurrection is grace. Drinking the wrath of God is grace. That's what it says. Grace alone through Christ's work. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Don't you just love the words? Do you ever grasp the words of the Bible? Paul was a master of words. Look at that word. It, according to the, the riches of His grace which He lavished upon you and I. It was God's good pleasure to crush His Son and not us. He lavishes this grace upon us in His Son. We are redeemed from the pit of hell. We are redeemed by His grace. And even today, brothers and sisters, that grace is still lavished upon us every day. So we see God's grace alone in our salvation. We see Christ's work alone in our salvation. We'll go into that next week a little bit more when we look at Christ alone. But yet we see the Holy Spirit also. The Holy Spirit in Ephesians. Listen to 1, 11 through 13. In Him we've obtained an inheritance having been brain tested according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Well, how does the Holy Spirit come into this? Where's the grace that the Holy Spirit shows? It's your effectual calling. He effectually calls you to himself, right? It's the Spirit that drew you to God, right? It wasn't you waking up one morning and saying, hey, I gotta go do this. No, Christ says that no one can come to me unless what? The Father draws him. Unless the Father draws him. This is grace. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the grace that the Holy Spirit brings to us is our effectual calling. And then God seals us with that Holy Spirit. We've been brought to Christ because of the Holy Spirit. It is grace alone, brothers and sisters. It is grace alone. So we see, as we look at the doctrines of grace, as we look back on there, when we look at grace alone, it is God's grace alone that shows us the sinfulness of our sin, the radicalness of our depravity. It is God's grace alone that shows us that he chose us in Christ. It is God's grace alone that has put Christ on the cross for us to atone for our sins, for our redemption. 
It is God's grace alone in the effectual calling that the Holy Spirit calls us to himself. It is God's grace alone that we persevere in this world. It is scripture alone. It is God's grace alone. And next week we'll see in our salvation that it's solely and purely Christ alone. So to close, I want to ask you, are you amazed at God's grace in your life? Or will you walk out of this building today and get into your car and think it's just boring? Boring, dull, ho-hum grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that that is not our hearts here at Faith Bible. I pray we walk out of here rejoicing in the fact that our salvation is by grace alone, and it is amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time and your word. May you be glorified and may you be praised. Father, may you change all of our hearts, especially mine, Lord, to see how amazing your grace truly is in my life. May you do that in your people's lives, Lord, in your sheep's life. Not only here at Faith Bible, Lord, but for all who call upon your name, may your grace be amazing continually. And may we see that our salvation is solely and purely by your grace alone. Amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.